Well, kia ora and welcome to this online service and to our church here in Kapiti and to all our beautiful New Life family, just know we are praying with and for you. Hey, thanks for joining us on this Good Friday communion service. And I pray in these next few moments that we have together that you'll be blessed, encouraged and equipped. So prepare your hearts and ready yourselves to receive the bread and the cup as we receive communion together a little bit later in the service. In my Palm Sunday message last week, I shared the story of Lazarus, whose name, by the way, means whom God helps. And I said that when Jesus finally did show up in Lazarus's village, Bethany, Lazarus was already dead. He was already in the tomb. He'd been there for four days. Jesus had not come straight away when told, Master, the one whom you love, Lazarus, is sick. Jesus, the Bible says, stayed two more days where he was, and then he went to Judea, which is actually in the opposite direction of Bethany. And so by the time Jesus showed up in Lazarus' village, he was dead and buried. And the Bible says that when some people saw Jesus arrive, and can I just say, I think this is completely understandable in the circumstances, they were kind of like, where were you? Jesus, you know, where were you when all this was going going down. In fact, it says in John 11 verse 37, it says, the people said, well, if he loved him so much, if he really, really loved him, why didn't he do something to keep him from dying? After all, he's the one who opened the eyes of the blind. He's the one who healed the leper. He's done all these miracles. If he really was a friend of Lazarus, I mean, we were friends of Lazarus and we were there. We, we, we were going through this. Where was he? Which is a kind of another way of saying, if God, you're so good, why is there bad? God, if you're so good, why is there pain? Why is there suffering? I mean, why, God, are we going through all this at the moment? I know some maybe even now are, are, are saying, you know, I've lost my job, God. Why, why, why has this happened to me? And that might mean I might lose my house or even worse in this situation we're in right now, some may even lose their life. And maybe you're asking God at this moment, why God? Why the pain? Why the suffering? The inference being, really, God, if you loved us, you would have stopped this, wouldn't you? If you really loved us, you would have done something about this. You would have, you would have stopped this. Because God, after all, you're supposed to be good. And if you're good, how could you allow such suffering and pain? And there's no doubt these are real questions people are asking, perhaps even real questions that you've been asking in the dark of the night. Because the idea of pain and suffering and evil are kind of incompatible with the idea of a good God. God, if you're good, why is there bad? And so the question is, God, if you're good, why is there bad? Please understand, it is a problem. It's a real problem. But let me say this. It is not a Bible problem. It is a philosophical problem for sure. But I want to assure you today, it is not a Bible problem. See, the Bible teaches plainly that God is good and that there is pain, suffering, and bad in the world. And for the scriptures, that is not a contradiction. Trials, trouble, tribulation, 
terror, tragedy, is all a part of our theology. In fact, the Bible never hides any of it. The Bible never hides pain, never hides suffering. In fact, it speaks openly and frankly about it, being an inescapable part of our human experience. The thing is, though, that the church has preached for a long time, a theology of victory, and rightly so. We're the head and not the tail. We're above and not beneath. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. But in doing that, it's forgotten to teach the theology of pain and suffering. And so we end up with Christians who are surprised by suffering. They're surprised by suffering. It catches them off guard. Situations like we are going through at the moment, it catches them off guard. But let me remind you today, we as followers of Christ are not exempt from pain, trial, or trouble. Jesus said, in fact, in fact, he didn't just say it, he promised. It's like a promise of God. Jesus promised in John 16 verse 33, he said, I have told you, Don't forget this. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. He said, in this world, in this world that you and I live in, in this world you will, not maybe, you will have trouble. You will have trials. You will have tribulation. You will have distress, affliction, oppression, suffering. In this world you will have trouble. But then he said, but take heart. And I want to encourage you today to take heart. He said, I have overcome the world. Can I say this? A Christian worldview is not and has never been one devoid of pain, suffering, or hurt. If you don't believe me, just open your Bible and see for yourself. That's why it's so important to get into the Word of God in these days. For the Word to get into us, we need to be ones who get into the Word. You know, I love what Vance Havner says. He says, the Bible that is falling apart usually belongs to someone who isn't. If you're a Christian today and you're falling apart, if you're going, why, Lord? I'm just saying today, I'm Pastor Adam. I love you. I'm trying to help you. But understand the Christian life is not and has never been one devoid of pain, suffering, or hurt. Rather, it's one in which God is with us. He's with us in our pain. He takes us through the valley of the shadow of death. Consider Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. He's good. I lack nothing. He's good. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He's good. He makes me uh, lie beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me. He's good along the right paths for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. Evil's there, but I'm not going to fear. I'm not going to let it come against me. For you are with me. God is with us in the valley. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. In fact, you prepare a table before me in the presence of that which is coming against me, in the presence of, of, of the enemies that desire to destroy me. You, you set up a table right there. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. No contradiction for the Bible here. God is good and there is bad in the world. 
We're to fear no evil, yet He is with me, even in the darkest valley. Perhaps you're in a dark valley right now. Understand, God is with you. He's not forgotten you. He will never leave or forsake you. He's with you in the valley. You know, for the scriptures, the fact that bad exists and God is good is not an idea that the Bible sees as mutually opposed to one another. So don't be surprised by suffering. As Christ followers, we shouldn't be surprised by suffering. The very symbol of Christianity itself provides no clearer demonstration of this truth. You know, at the cross, God's goodness collided with suffering. At the cross, God's goodness collided with injustice, evil, and pain in the most brutal of ways. Think about it. The cross was nothing but an instrument of Roman terror and torture, an instrument of death and pain. Yet because of what Christ did on the cross that day, this symbol, the cross, this symbol of suffering and death now stands as a symbol of faith, hope, and love. It stands as a light in the darkness. When we were in Jerusalem last year, we took a few moments to visit the Garden of Gethsemane. It was in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prayerfully considered the agony of the cross that lay before him, the suffering and pain he would have to endure. In fact, he even asked the Father, is there any other way? You see, Jesus was not surprised by suffering. He says in Luke, Father, if it's your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him and being in agony. Jesus understood suffering. Jesus understood pain. It says, and being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like drops of blood falling to the ground. Someone said the Bible is the story of two gardens, Eden and Gethsemane. And the first Adam took a fall, but in the second, Jesus took a stand. Hebrews tells us, For the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross, scorning its shame. What joy? Well, your freedom, your redemption, your salvation, my freedom, my redemption, my salvation. For the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. And understand this, Christ's life was not taken from him. It was given. It was given for you and for me. Jesus said in John 10 verse 18, No one takes it. No one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. Why did he do it? For love. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world, that He gave, He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Isaiah tells us, surely He took up our pain. Surely He did this. He took up our pain. He bore your and my suffering. 
He goes on to say he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, but the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Listen, this is important to understand. We are not forgiven because we gave our life to Christ. We are forgiven because he gave his life for us. Jesus was not surprised by suffering. Understand the gospel is not a human plan for reaching up to God, but a divine plan of God reaching down to man. And as we celebrate communion today, let your and my prayer be, you gave your life for me. You, with all the suffering, with all the pain, you gave your life for me that I might now live my life for you. Let us reflect on the words of this song, The Cross, as we prepare our hearts to receive communion.
I hope you and your family are now ready for communion as I get my beautiful wife Anita to lead us. In Genesis 22:14, Abraham calls God Jehovah Jireh, which means the Lord will provide. He is acknowledging that God providing is part of his character, which it is. God is a great provider. He always provides. God is true to his promise. And on this Good Friday, we remember Jesus, the ultimate provision of God. In 1 Corinthians 11:23 we read The Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said This is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me Let's eat the bread In the same way after supper he took the cup saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let me pray for you. God, we thank you for the sacrifice. We thank you for communion. We thank you for family. We thank you for Good Friday. We pray you bless every family gathered around the communion table. Every person who's taking part in the communion today, we pray your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. As we close, remember in Romans 8:28, it says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. It doesn't say all things are good, some things are bad, but God can work in them all. Alexander McLaren said this, peace comes not from the absence of trouble, but from the presence of God. And I remind you, don't be surprised by suffering. I'm going to ask Anita now to just pray a blessing over you and your family as we end this Good Friday service. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Amen. We love you guys. Have a good Friday. Amen.